Welcome to Authority Issues, a podcast about leadership, management, and wondering if it's possible to burn out one's own irony detector. I'm Rachel Perkins, aka Pi or Pi Bob. I'm into words, operations, cheese, and whiskey, and of course, leadership. And I'm Kendall Miller. A more prepared version of me would have written a different intro for today, but a <laughs> reality version of me is just now noticing I never got there. Aww. Today on the show, we're talking with Brianna Connolly, Director of Data Engineering at Integrate. Hi, Brianna. Thank Welcome, you for Brianna. being on the show. Thank you. <laughs> so we'll just dive right in. Brianna, tell us about your path to leadership management, where you are today at, uh, at Integrate. Yes. So it's been, um, I guess, mainly because I'm bossy and then at work, that worked out. No, um, I think really (laughs) I've just had an inclination to kind of step in and, you know, when everyone's looking around, it's just like I've had enough. So I'll step in and Mm -hmm. let's do some things. So that's kind of how it started. Did that start at an ice cream stand, at a banana stand? What kind of stand got, what was your, how, go go all the way back to the beginning and tell yeah. us how you got here. Um, well, I was always, so I'm six feet tall, for those of you that can't see my height on a podcast. And so I was always the center in basketball. And I was always the one that everyone looked to for some reason, maybe because I was the closest to the basket. But especially when you're in peewee or high school. So that's kind of where it started, sports. And I've been kind of a part of groups and things like that. Girl Scouts, sports. Um, I've been to robotics classes when I'm a kid, when I was a kid. So Mm -hmm. does it, does it translate in the, in the working environment? You can walk into a room and because you're tall, everyone will shut up and think this person is a big deal. (laughs) Um, Sometimes I also just sort of take the wheel. So I don't know if it's tall or just, all right, let's go. Mm -hmm. You don't like there to be indecision maybe. Yeah, I think what I learned a long time ago is that people want to be led. Mm -hmm. And if there's not already a leader in the room, generally nobody's going to step up because they don't, they have these preconceived notions that it's not ideal, that they're not a leader. And I just over time kind of realized that, you know, when you have ideas, you can get people talking and you can be a leader. It doesn't have to be your way, right? Like we're doing A because I said it, but you can really get to a place where you can create leadership and people can feel safe in creating and sort of figuring it out the best way possible. So what was the first gig? Uh, so you were, you were in sports in high school. Were, and then what did you study in college? Did you go to college? I did. So I went um, to the University of Denver for my um, undergrad in economics. Uh-huh. And I graduated in uh, 2008. So right when everything fell apart, especially in finance, nobody was hiring. I remember uh, my family has classically been in oil and gas. And so I went for a front desk job, right? I was going to answer phones with my very economics degree. degree, Yeah. And they said no, because they knew I would leave as soon as the market got good, which was true. But, um, (laughs) you know, it was frustrating. So I actually decided to go to hair school. Okay. Um, like, like, you're, uh, you're already up there dialed. looking down on it anyways. You might exactly. as well change it. <laughs> you can see everyone's uh, bald spots. It's great. I had to help the world. <laughs> um, yeah, I honestly, my mom jokes that like I had never in my life expressed an interest in doing hair. I was never playing with people's hair. I was never doing anything like that. But I just all of a sudden said, I want to go to hair school. And so, um, Thank goodness for Sally May. I contacted her and got a loan and went to hair school. Wow. So, so, yeah, what happened then? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because because hair school to director of data 
is exactly the path that everyone expects. In fact, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's why most people get into hair is yeah. for the data <laughs> angle. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not sure we even need to hear that story, right? Because it's, it's the <laughs> so obvious, obvious outcome. Yeah, yeah. like pretty much one, two, three. No. Um, yeah, so I went to hair school and I did hair. Uh, so I'm in the Aveda cult. I don't know if anybody knows Aveda, but they're a pretty nice um, social leader in terms of hair and sort of the things that they do and inspiring cultures. And so I went there, I got my cosmetology license, which was really hard. Um, yeah. it wasn't, I think maybe I'll do this. I mean, people think that hairstylists are pretty loose and kind of creative and do what they want, but you have to start with a foundation. And for a lot of people that had been interested in hair, that was really hard because they'd been doing hair for their own way for a really long time. For me, I had never done it. So I was like, great, let me learn. Um, I'm a classic learner, but it was, it was pretty hard. Like, you know, you had to talk to people, you had to read people's minds because they would say, I want my hair to look like Prince Valiant. That's what they would describe. And you'd be like, great. I know that's not what you want. So I'll go ahead and do what I think. You're what do you actually want? <laughs> exactly. And what it taught me is that people are visual, right? So you really have to, um, you really have to show people pictures. You have to show them what things look like before they'll get a really good sense and be excited about what you're doing. Um, and that's, that is transferable to business, right? You can't just say, I'm building a data dashboard. And people are like, go you. Yeah, like what's going to sure. be on it? What's it look like? But, but so, for the record, I would like ahead, hair go. like Prince Valiant. Yeah. Sorry, Rachel, go ahead. You, you could just and you could just remove the Prince Valiant part. <laughs> I, yeah, I would really take hair like literally anyone. Hair like having for, hair. Yeah, hair like having hair. Sounds well, but I also learned at that time that you cannot cut your spouse's hair because I did give my boyfriend at the time a Prince Valiant haircut. He wanted to look like Jax from Sons of Anarchy. It did no, no. It didn't come out. Yikes. Well, I, I cut my husband's hair, but it's pretty much clippers one and a half. You know, <laughs> it's not anything complicated. That's probably the most I would recommend anyone try in terms of cutting their spouse's hair. Um, but so, so yeah, so you were saying they literally teach you people skills, like how to think about your customers in, in, uh, in this esthetician school. I don't even know how to say that. Yeah. Um, they so, definitely, yeah, they definitely do. Um, it's a huge part of your business. If you're a jerk or don't know how to talk to people, nobody's going to come sit in the chair, period. Yeah, that's um, great. I had no idea there was that level of, you know, obviously the, the, the skill of cutting hair is complicated enough. People's hair is quite different. And, you know, if you're good at it, you're going to understand how it grows and how different types of cutting affects different kinds of hair. But wow, I'm, I'm impressed. I'm impressed that this is the kind of training that you got. How long yeah. did it take you to get your certification? Um, it was 14 months. Okay. And so I started in January and then I actually got my license after. So you have to take state boards, which is intense. You have to take all your stuff like bags and bags because they randomly, when you get there, pick out of a hat of what you'll have to do. Oh, wow. And so you have to take all your stuff. You have to be totally prepared. And then they tell you, you know, you have to give somebody a perm to a mannequin. And then somebody walks around and judges you the whole time you're doing it to make sure that you don't like lick your finger or something gross or contaminate something. <laughs> and so it's high stress, right? You get to this room and there's two people circling you, watching every single movement you make. And you can't say, I learned a long time ago in here, you can't say oops. <laughs> well, definitely not when there's an actual live person in the seat. <laughs> yeah, I, did, you, did you learn on a mannequin or an actual person who was more um, I think my mom, because she wouldn't let me do anything except for like put clear color on her hair for a long time. 
Um, and I remember saying like, oops, cause I dropped something and she was like, what's happening? <laughs> what have you got a big hole in my hair? Uh, exactly. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so, okay. So you, you, you did your, you did your tests and you got your, your license and then you worked in, in hair for a while. I did. Um, I worked in hair until 2010. So for, I went, got my license and then I worked at Innovative Salon for like almost two years. Mm-hmm. And, um, it was super fun. And the whole time, so I worked right by DU. I went, uh, it was a wash park hair salon. And so the whole DU time, is University of Denver for non-Colorado natives here. But it's going. not U of D? <laughs> exactly, it's right? It's not U of D. Okay, um, all right. <laughs> but so I, I actually cut a lot of people's hair who were academics, who were um, professors, were getting their master's, lots of things like that. And every time somebody sat in my chair like that, I had this pull of, right, I'm supposed to go back. I'm not going to be doing hair forever. Um, I see. And, you know, it was interesting too. Um, I also, you know, I probably wouldn't have made the leap a hundred percent out of hair if my salon at the time hadn't been kind of not conducive to the master's classes. So, um, master's classes are at like 6 PM and uh-huh. generally that's like the creme de la creme of your hair, right? Four to 10. So yeah, I could do hair during that time. So I started getting you know, little kids who they do move their head a lot and get bald patches in the back. <laughs> Whoops. And then, uh, <laughs> mom's mad. They, they, they seem to know their child though. Cause they would never get mad at me. They'd be like, ah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, you know, I was doing, you know, um, little kids hair and hair that I didn't want to do in the morning. People that could take time off at 10 AM to come get their hair cut. Right. Um, And so I just, from an income standpoint, decided that I wasn't going to do that anymore. So I decided to go back um, to school and got accepted to the University of Denver. Um, Again, I really loved that program. And so I went ahead and started and um, the classic. What what was the degree? um, Economics for my master's. Master's. Yeah. And the classic thing about me is that um, generally someone will tell me something and I think, no, but I'm different. (laughs) <laughs> It'll be different for me. Um, so multiple situations in my life. One, I had a pug for many years. And if you've ever had a pug or been around a pug, they shed like crazy. Mm-hmm. And when I picked out a pug, I told my mother, mine's not going to shed like that. So even in that instance. <laughs> you were right about that? <laughs> no, I was not. No, no. no. <laughs> I, was say, I don't know which way this tale is going to go. Like I'm always right and then I'm different or... <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, yes, three vacuums later, I was proved wrong. So, okay. <laughs> um, but with grad school, you know, they said, you can't have a job. You have to commit to grad school. And I thought, well, I see what you're saying, and I'm going to go get a job. So I, actually <laughs> did, I did consulting data work for um, an oil and gas company. And so I would go into different companies and have to kind of fix what was there. So they'd put things in wrong or it had naturally organically grown over the last five years and it wasn't right. Or maybe they had acquired a company that happens a lot in oil and gas. And so I kind of went back and forth with doing those consulting jobs. And I actually didn't pass one of my graduate classes because I wasn't going into study hall. I wasn't hanging out and working on things. I was showing up for two hours and then spending like Saturday to try to like get it done. Mm-hmm. And that was huge. I've never gotten a bad grade in my life. And I didn't pass a master's class. Like, and when I say I didn't pass, I blanked on the final and sat there. And like after 50 minutes, I was like, 
what? Only three minutes have passed. It's done. What? And oh my gosh. Crazy. Yeah, it was absolutely crazy. And um, it was definitely the the thing that made me quit my job and focus on grad school. But how, how did you get that gig in the first place? Because you, you came out of you came out with your uh, your economics degree. Yeah. And you're like, there's no work. Everything yeah. has exploded. There's no money, therefore no economics. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then you went, you were decided just haphazardly to go into hair and you did that. And then, so you come out of hair and you start going to school and how did you get this gig? Yes. Yeah, so my dad had a friend who needed somebody to go on site and do job. Oh, yeah. um, you know, when I was in high school, I would do basic data entry. Um, and I mean, basic, like, you know, does this match, you know, nothing mm -hmm. complicated, but, um, I knew this woman, I went and talked to her and, you know, given the, the skill sets that I would need to do, I felt I could go ahead and go for it. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, it was interesting, but it was also difficult. I was the only person in that office in Denver. Um, so I was like alone all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, also I'm for the podcast folks, I'm a heavily tattooed woman. So that's like, what on earth is happening in oil? Yeah, <laughs> in the business. Exactly. So it was really difficult um, to feel like I could be creative there because I knew I didn't fit in. Okay. And I spent a lot of time leaning into that role when I was going to my master's and I didn't lean into my degree in the same way. So, um, you know, ended up getting a B, you had to get like a, I got a B minus, you had to get a B or better. But I mean, I failed the final, so. Yeah, it hardly like mattered at that point. Was that yeah. like a big turning point for you? So you're like, okay, fine, I have to focus. I'm I'm quitting my yeah. job, and I'm going to focus on school. At that point, um, so then that was at the end of the first semester. That was the first year. It was a spring class, um, and so I ended up. Uh, my grandmother at the time was at the end of her life, so I ended up taking care of her during the day, which was really rad. Um, I loved her. She taught me to do all kinds of cool stuff like sew and get addicted to soap operas and all kinds of things. <laughs> Stories. Yeah. And um, it was awesome because I got to focus on my degree, but I also got to spend that time with her. Mm -hmm. So it was great. And it was exactly what I needed because I needed to focus. Mm -hmm. um, I guess this is a good time. I'll be totally candid on this podcast. I am a recovering alcoholic. So during oh. this time, I was also in you know the depths of alcoholism but was high functioning and trying uh -huh. to obviously. <laughs> and so, yeah, it was something that, you know, school and work I could always lean into and do really good at despite anything else that was just exploding personal life. But uh, that, that explains a few things about like, well, I think I can do this because you know, you, you, you had that, that lever, that valve in some ways for better or worse. Uh, okay. That's cool. And then, so, you spent this time, you, you got through your master's degree, uh, and what happened next? Well, I decided to move to Chicago because at that time, my boyfriend, um, he had been born in Chicago. And, you know, I had just wrapped up my master's and was finishing my thesis. I'd taken all the classes and it was just time. My grandmother passed. Um, and so it was kind of like my job and like a place I went to fell away. So I decided, like, why not start over and start fresh somewhere? So... And he wanted to move back there or he was there? He moved back with me. He was living in Colorado with me at the time. And his reason for moving back to Chicago was he was born. I, I'm not sure that's a strong enough reason to move to Chicago. That's what I, that's why I'm clarifying. A hundred percent. Yes. Um, <laughs> he, 
And maybe that will be more clear later in the story. No. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, yes, um, we moved back in, um, I think we moved back in December. So who moves to Chicago in December? I do, right? But You're different, uh, though. It's going to work for you. <laughs> well, it's a way of making it, you know, if you move there when it's nice, you know, it, 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 at least this way, there's nowhere but up to go, right? Exactly. exactly. Set expectations. Exactly. So... I moved there and then I told everyone, I'm gonna have a job by March, April. That's when I'm gonna have a job. I was also gonna run out of money by March or April. So that had to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty good reason to get a job. Yep. Um, so I am really good at writing cover letters. Um, it's gotten me two jobs before writing like some wild cover letter that kind of people go, what on earth? And actually invite me in because I think they wanna meet me. <laughs> uh -huh. um, so I did that with the University of Chicago um, which to an economics person is like a Mecca. Okay. So I got that job and, um, it was, it was a good first job. It was very list based and there wasn't a lot of opportunity to change things because you're in a university environment. What, so what kind what, of work was, was this? Job? Yeah. Yeah. Surprise, another job. Um, no, it was actually, um, a market data analyst position. So, they, the University of uh, Chicago had a software uh, called CRISP, but it's a financial-based software that they would sell to um, other universities and to equity or trading firms. And then they would do data science, protect, projecting, forecasting on that data to kind of understand what on earth we would do. Mm -hmm. So then, um, but it was old. They were using, if anybody knows tech, um, SQL is a basic query language. It's been around for a long time. We had a query language that predated SQL and was actually one of the foundations for SQL. Mm -hmm. So it was old. Um, and I left about the time, I, I was there for over two years, and I left about the time that they had third parties come in to audit and recommend a implementation that the third party company would do. And to me, that's a huge thing because if you're not part of it, how can you understand it? How can you really know the pain points and how can you live with it once you leave? Yeah. So that was kind of my incentive to leave. Plus, um, I think if you're in the United States, you might know that Colorado is insane with real estate right now. And so I wanted to move back before I couldn't afford to move back or live here in any capacity because I was working at the university. I was a staff member, so I wasn't making enough to buy a home in Chicago or buy a home in Colorado. Okay. So yeah, yeah you, you took off. So uh, had you at this point had any reports? Like when you were, when you were working in the hair salons, where you, did you have any people reporting to you? Had you had any, any management experience at that point? Yeah. So when I worked in the salon, um, I had to actually work there before getting my license. So I would go to school for 10 hours a day, um, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. So every other day. And then I would work in the salon the other days and I would have one day off a week, maybe um, mm -hmm. if it was like a good week, like, yes, I have a day. Um, but I would generally work at the salon on the off days. And so I had to manage all of the um, infrastructure of the front, um, all of like had to bring in all of the product, had to make sure it was all right, had to put it in the system, had to deal with everyone's schedules, had to deal with everyone's attitudes, had to deal with everyone's lunch order, um, okay. had to deal mm -hmm. with clients, all of the above was clients. Um, so I learned how to mitigate and manage people and process really well because I had an angry person in the front. I had a stylist giving me a dirty eye and I had the phone ringing. 
So mm-hmm. it was like, okay. Prioritize. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. Cool. I, so I was wondering like where, you know, where that had come from the, the sports probably beforehand as well, being a team captain and various mm-hmm. other roles of that kind. Similarly, you're just like, I just need there to be order. I need to figure out what order to do things in uh, that works best for people's various levels of intensity. <laughs> so, okay, cool. So you're moving back to, let's, let's fast forward back in time again. Uh, yeah. You're moving um, moving back to uh, to Dallas, or to Dallas, to Denver uh, from Chicago. Basically the point. same thing. Yeah, really very similar, very similar. Yeah, so what, what was your first role in Denver, and is that where you are now? Yes, yeah, so I moved back and I actually saw a job rec, because I was applying while I was living in Chicago trying to figure out where I was going to work. Um, and so I saw this job rec at a company called Return Path. Uh, they were like an email deliverability company and had been around for a while, had great reputation in the, the community, um, and had a, you know, a CEO and their leadership team were kind of renowned for being a really cool team. Mm-hmm. And I read this job description and it was the most crazy job description I've ever read. It had about 15 technologies on it that I had never heard of. And I thought, you know, I looked at, I, I do a lot of research on the company before I apply. I'm not one of those folks that's like, dear Madame, sir, you know, and then sends the same thing to 15 companies. Um, You're not me. Sorry, <laughs> keep going. Um, so I ended up sending a very funny co- um, cover letter. So I had gotten sober in Chicago. That was a big deal for me. Okay. And I realized this whole concept of codependency. I'm pretty damn good at it, but I realized what it was. <laughs> and so when I applied, I wrote this, I looked at the culture, saw that they could be funny, saw that they were doing, um, kind of unique Google esque type things. So I took the liberty to write a pretty crazy cover letter. And I believe um, it was about being codependent with data, which is very true. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So I wrote a cover letter like that. And my manager who ended up hiring me saw it and was like, we have to talk to this person. Um, And it was great. And I didn't have any of the skill sets to get the job, but they hired me. Um, And I learned really quickly. I would stay up really late learning, you know, MapR, other technologies that I had never used. Again, I quickly saw a bunch of messes and was like, we have to fix these. Like you go over there, you take that, you know, and Mm -hmm. um, within, I think three or four months of having that job, I was team lead. And so I've always been lucky that I've had people in my career here in Denver that have um, looked out for me and seen when I'm doing really well. You know, I didn't have to go say, um, hey, I think it's time for a raise or promotion. Like somebody was always having that conversation with me and I was always tracking towards it in true honesty. So they made me a team lead. And then, you know, I found out that that was the road to manager. Mm-hmm. So then they made me manager. We had a reorg and it naturally worked that I got a team. And when I first got a team, I had no idea what I was doing. Um Absolutely nothing. This was in <laughs> you're, you're the first <laughs> leader in history that, that that's before. happened to. Yeah, uh-huh. exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, they were my friends, right? Which is good, but also bad. Um, and yeah. I suddenly had to be a leader um, with people who had been there for a lot longer. So I was a little bit intimidated. Like, well, I'm kind of new. I'm also coming into the, the company as a newer person. And now I'm coming into management. Um, there wasn't great cross-team management. Um, like I didn't have peers that I was like, we got to get together and work it out and I'll support you if you support me. Um, we kind of ignored each other and that was for better or worse at the time. And 
So I just kept growing. I mean, it's an, it's an email company, right? So communication is, <laughs> I know nothing about, blah, return. I know blah. that return path is a Denver company. I have no idea what the culture is yeah. like. So yeah, I'm just, I'm just going to make an assumption that an email company has horrible communication patterns. The same way that I believe that a typewriter company has fantastic communication well, patterns. But. I think that that company has wonderful, wonderful infrastructure for communication but as most people do, they don't want to give each other feedback, right? Like I will go sure. to the ends of the earth not to have this difficult conversation. So. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel like, so did you get any kind of management training when they're like, you're a new manager, you're mm -hmm. going to have reports, here's what you're going to do. Yeah. Uh, what was that like? Yeah. So we actually went on site new managers for three days in Denver. I was there, but people flew in from Australia, from London, because we were a global company. And they kind of taught us like, the tricks in the trade, the tricks of the trade, right? So obviously the basic things from don't harass people to, you know, here's how you know you're being harassed type stuff mm -hmm. to how do you want to inspire your team? How do you want to like grow a culture within your team and how do you want them to do better? Yeah. And also yeah. your cat has opinions totally about this. <laughs> you said that the, when you start talking, your cat was also going to want to talk. And I was, you were I right. Just talk right over him. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, so you had a team, how big was your team at that point when you had, yeah. um, when you first got into that? Yeah, I had four people and, okay. um, at that company, I was the natural collector of people in odd roles. So I would naturally collect people that were in data support, um, like front end technical client support. Like I would start to get all of these folks that weren't classically trained in, in analytics because I was an analytics manager um, or any sort of data engineering or real data process management, um, which was interesting. We had to all learn together, which was always exciting. I never felt like I had somebody that was like, I've been here for 30 years, kid, and get out of here type thing. Um, Go ahead and not let me show you the ropes. <laughs> completely. Yeah. So I'm grateful for that. I always had a team that was wonderful. Within the first month of management, I had to let somebody go. Oh, stressful. It's terrible. Well, it's terrible for multiple reasons because you always sit on it longer than you should. You probably know within a week, but you really hammer it in for multiple weeks or months. And then, you know, it just is bad. You go through the cycle of this is a human being. Like, I don't want to impact their life, affect their life in a negative way. Um, yeah. But we can't communicate. We can't get things done. And, you know, I'm offering, here's the things I'm bringing, and I'm not getting anything back to meet me halfway. Um, but that was, it was good and bad to go through that experience early on because it, it allowed me to not be afraid to say goodbye when it's necessary. Mm -hmm. And when you've been honest with people, right? Because like I said, we'll go out of our way to not have a candid feedback session. But now I try to always do that because I realize like a conversation in April could save a termination or somebody walking out in December. Yeah, or at the very absolutely. least, it'll make it less painful. Like it's not going to be someone yeah. no, uh, even pretending that they don't know what this is about. That's that's the, a, the, the side of it that the, yeah, the, the painful fires are the ones that you look back on and think, I didn't say to this person you're about to be fired. Like when you've said you're about to be fired unless this behavior changes and then you come around to firing them, you don't actually feel that bad about it because you're like, I have literally said these words to you uh, and the behavior didn't change. Um, yeah, there's a difference between but, feeling bad about the fact that this has to happen and feeling bad about not having oh, yeah, done everything yeah. you could do, right? And that's sure. what you're talking about here is yeah. having that conversation 
early enough that you don't, you, you know, you did what you could. Yeah. 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 So, so then how'd you get from there to integrate? <laughs> yeah. I just kept leaning in. There was a problem. I was there with like, you know, it's a metaphorical fire. I had the fire hose and the team behind me, like, what are we doing? Um, and I impressed uh, the EC and my boss there. Um, I reported directly to the C or the COO pretty quickly. Um, and as people left, and honestly, people leave, at least in that um, frame of my mind, um, people left because of their own items. They couldn't get out of their own way, so they left. Um, I've been there too. I've done that too. But you had a path you needed to return to. Exactly. I, I, I was, I was, it was a stretch, I know, but I've been Don't like make dying me come over the there. Whole, yeah, I'm sorry. Exactly. I feel bad about it, but not bad enough about no. it to have not done it, clearly. <laughs> no, I'm proud that you did it. I'm very happy that it happened. <laughs> <laughs> Don't encourage him. Uh, so, okay. So, uh, so you were at Return Path and you had a team and things were going great and you were reporting to the COO. Uh, what, what, so you, you learned how at least had an experience of having to fire someone there. What other things did you learn there? I learned a lot. Um, I learned how to be a leader and be an example. I learned how to not react. I'm, I was really good, especially, right. I was probably, uh, I think I was like two or three years sober at this time. So I was still like it, metaphorically and physically, bah! you know, like someone would come to me and I would react to it. Um, and I had a team that was, they were really communicated and they were able to trust me and I could tell them I'm working on this. I need help. And they would, they would help. Right. I, I basically said, I'm open to feedback. And so the team would give me feedback, right? Like, I don't think that this went well, or I think that you approached this, um, in a way that I didn't like. And same with my manager, his name is Dave Wilby. Um, he was an amazing mentor. Um, and he helped me a lot in terms of, how do you have an honest feedback conversation before it's a nightmare or a big problem? And that's been really, it's been nice to be able to do that before you're pissed off or you react when you don't want to. Mm -hmm. um, so I was always really candid about that. I'm sure as you guys can see, I'm, I, I'm authentic and I wear everything on my sleeve. You know, I, mm -hmm. sometimes I'll look people in the eye and just be like, I'm a recovering alcoholic. And they're like, okay, I, Asked if you wanted coffee. Like, <laughs> You're like, I, you need some context here. I need all the coffee. <laughs> exactly. I need it all. We're in for a night. No. Um, but yeah, so I've always been really candid with people and built, built trust in that, right? Not TMI, hopefully. Um, oh. But I've always no, no, been. Not at all. Well, I've okay. always been able to, to um, you know, kind of understand what, what people wanted to share, how to connect to that and keep growing together. Okay. So then what is, what does the job today look like and how is it different from what you did at return path? Yeah. So I grew to director of engineering at return path and that was just a um, mass um, kind of assimilation and um, the blob, if you will, on teams and responsibilities. Mm -hmm. um, I got to work with amazing people. And so then um, we went through an acquisition at return path last spring, summer. And so I really, really hung in and um, as a leader wanted to provide and help people. And all the while I'm fixing data, I'm creating structure, I'm creating how do we get data? How do we talk about it? Um, how on earth do we continue to give people safe data to handle? 
and to tell stories with that are going to sell product and keep clients happy. And I got to a place in October where I realized like, wow, I feel like I've done it. I got the last domino to tip over about, about a big project and they were doing it. And it was like, what do I do now? And I could have very easily sat in that role and become the VP of engineering. That was kind of what, you know, when I put my resignation in, that's what people um, offered and it just wasn't time. And I didn't want to work towards that. And in a place where I felt like I wasn't growing as much as I could. And so um, I met Scott Brown, my current boss at Integrate um, through a mutual connection. And then we talked for probably two months before there was even really a job offer um, on the table and an ability to interview across the teams. I, um, I talked to him and went to lunch, had phone calls. I talked to people at Integrate uh, remotely via Zoom because they're located in Phoenix. And then um, we decided that we'd have an onsite and that I'd come down and meet people and kind of learn more. And I love problems. I'm definitely one of those people. I'm one of my top five strengths. If anybody's a um, strength finder a fan, I'm restorative um, and I like to uh, achieve things. So it's like the uh -huh. winning combination of data because you can fix things and then it's done. You tied the bow on it. And then you get to be, yay, I did a thing. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Exactly. And I love doing that. So. I'm not sure um, anybody who's ever worked with MongoDB would agree with that statement. Well, as I like tick nervously as you even say it. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's been hard. So at um, Return Path Validity, I had a team that managed it. And I got to use Scala, which um, apparently is an outdated language now. But I got to use that language. And it was easy. It felt easy. Um, now I don't have that option and I'm like, how, hello, how should we do this? Um, you miss it. and the best and the worst is that people are like, I don't know, how should we do it? Mm, so you're in charge. You have to help decide. Yep. Oh my gosh. So, so, oh, Kendall has the, so go ahead, Kendall. No, I, my, <laughs> I got the first, so in, so, um, well, so what's, what's something that you're dealing with there right now? I mean, is, is, are those the problems like people asking, uh, you know, Hey, Brianna, what do we do with all of this, these things? And, and your big problem is having to have all the answers or what's, what's a problem that you're dealing with as, you know, in the current gig right now that you're thinking about? Yeah, I think it's, um, this role and myself were talked up quite a bit before I physically got there and now oh, have a lot so of So you have to lower expectations. <laughs> hey, everyone, no, we just moved to Chicago. It's winter. It'll get better. That's what you're... Exactly. Yeah. Like, yep. But no, it's been a lot of um, education and just helping people like reframe why I'm there, right? And, sure. and that it's a, I don't have my own team now, which is freeing in one sense and also like, oh, I'm just one person. So I can't sign up for that right now. Are you going to get a team or is it entirely about using your influence across the organization or what, is, what does that look like? It's definitely a combo of both. I think um, in order to get a team, it's really like this is the data strategy and we need folks to do it um, in a specialized role. But right now it is a lot of talking to the engineers that have been there that are super talented, that want to learn, um, that have an inclination towards it. And so that's kind of where I'm at is like, who do we need? What are we doing? And like, how should we do it together? And if you start walking around the halls and saying Scala or MongoDB, are they going to be like, give her a hundred people. She's going to drown. Or what's the, what are the things that you do? What, what does data strategy look like? Yeah. So it definitely, um, 
Well, one, I asked Scott if I could use Scala and he very nicely said, oh, I haven't heard about Scala in so long. And I was like, damn it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it was great. And he's super supportive. And so I was definitely trying to lean on an old crutch and, you know, it was like, damn it, I didn't want to grow, but I will. Um, And so really what it is, is what are you guys using? What do you like? What do you not like? What's missing? What's hard about your day? Um, I've talked to every single person. I don't just stay in engineering. Um, I talk to finance, sales, legal, um, customer support folks. I'm out there with everybody trying to connect the dots. And so the biggest- A lot of information gathering right now. Yes, and I'm having to, I'm working with one of our PMs at a team to release a product in March. And so I'm having to do the data um, shaping and sort of uh, ETL process for that. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Right. And is this like, this sounds kind of like, and I think you probably already said this, that you're, you're doing essentially a survey and event and based on the data you get back from this, you'll, you'll figure out how, how many people you need on your team to do these things. Like you have to find out so, what the there is first. Yeah. I think for right now, I'm really trying to lean into how do we, how can we get this data out of MongoDB and other places into a centralized place to create stories with it? Um, salespeople want stories, customer service people, support, um, product managers. And I'm using a new BI tool that we have, SciSense, um, to really help with that and visualize what people want, right? Kind of back to hair. You can't just for six or eight months say, oh, we're going to make a dashboard and it's going to have a really cool pie chart and it's going to solve this problem. Um, sure you can. Yeah, you can. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can indeed. Um, but you kind of have to show and bring people along on the journey. And yeah. Um, much like economics, it's easy to me. Data is easy. I think in natural process and it's just a lot of things that people go, oh, you're using this type of format or strategy. And it's like, no, it just makes sense with what we have. Um, so, you know, it's been, um, it's been a lot of fun. And I think the, the, not even an issue, but the growth opportunity for us all is that, yeah, I have big shoes to fill. And so it's sort of like, how can we do this together? Yeah. um, I don't want to create an island of just data and you have to come to me to get the data. And Mm -hmm. if you don't come to me, you won't get data. You know, I don't want to. No, it's not an island. It's a lake. That's why they call it a data lake. (laughs) Wow. So I I don't want to drown in the data lake. That's right. Well, so the question we ask everybody on this podcast, we are authority issues. Um, What's your relationship like with authority? How do you feel about having authority over others? How do you yeah. feel about others having authority over you? Uh, tell us about that. Yeah. So um, authority is a huge thing. So I'm definitely a rule follower, although you wouldn't think so given, you know, I'm recovering alcoholic. I like to live on the edge sometimes. Um, but for me, having authority means taking care of people. Having authority means doing right by folks and making sure that they have a say. And if you don't go with what they offer, an explanation of why. Um, For me, it's clear communication and making sure that people are supported um, always. And again, you know, I don't want that to sound like if you come ask me a question, I'll do whatever you ask or um, but we're going to have a conversation about it. You know, I've I hinted at one um, letting go. I've let go um, at least five people and then laid off an entire team. So Mm -hmm. it it hasn't been like, you know, oh, push her over. She'll do anything you want. You know, it's been really tough conversations, a lot of um, figuring out what people want and need, and then trying to find a way to get that to correlate with the business, right? Because it's um, Leanne Smolin, she's an awesome career and development coach. Um, 
she told me once, you know, and it, it's a, a general concept, but she, she was the one that introduced it to me is that it's the company, your team, and then yourself in that order. And so if I, whenever I made a decision, it was with that in mind. Um, uh, that order of priority. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. then, so then so you, this is, you know, you take this authority over your team and, and the folks that you have power over very seriously, you definitely take on information from those people and you, and, and use that to make your decisions. And sometimes you have made hard decisions. How do you feel about it when people have authority over you? Yeah. So like most people, I want leadership. I want somebody to help me and tell me what to do as well. Uh-huh. Um, you know, obviously being a leader, a lot of times you have to figure it out and do it and then come to whoever has authority over you and pitch an idea or a business case. Um, I always joke that it's the me coming with my like seventh grade science poster board, like from the <laughs> science fair, like, as you can see, here's the hypothesis and here's the way I'll test it. And um, so in terms of authority over me, I need it. There's a reason why I don't work for myself um, because I need somebody there to inspire and guide me as well. Um, that's something that's really important to me. Inspiration know, matters. It that's... does. Yeah. Um, and ultimately, you know, I think what in terms of authority, what means success for me is that uh, two people in that relationship have felt seen and heard. Sure. So, Okay. That's All right. And do you feel like you have a different, like based on your having this experience now leading people, having to, you know, find consensus across different teams that you're doing right now, uh, do you find you have a different relationship with authority now that you did, you know, when you were younger? I do. Yeah. I used to um, not, I, I guess I've been privileged to work at companies that listen and honor ideas. Right. So when I was a kid or a high schooler, you know, it was, um, my dad or teacher, I, I went to all Catholic school. So a nun, if you can believe it or not saying, well, we're going to do it. Cause I said so. Mm, like, that's period. the best reason. Always yep. the best reason. Yeah. A hundred percent. And so, you know, I mean, she didn't get there by not being right all the time. Right. I mean, 100%. otherwise you wouldn't be a nun. Like you, you literally work for God. Yeah. I'm sorry. We have no baggage here. None. None. Yeah. None. No uh-huh. I went to Catholic school, so I was 18. So we could go on and on about the the clergy jokes, truly. <laughs> the um, impact of that. So, yeah. 100%. 100%. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, there's a lot of things that it taught me. I mean, even so an example, you know, that I've carried with me into adult um, and into an adult um, role is uh, when I was in third grade, I tried to change my name from Brianna to Bree. And a nun had me come up and was like, this isn't your name in front of everyone. And made me write my name. So until I was like 23, I was like, my name's Brianna, not Brie. Wow. <laughs> okay. that's, that's like, that's really the kinds of things that you want a elementary school nun teacher to really put her foot down. Like, I mean, are right. there more? Oh my gosh. That's like devastating for me. Your personal identity. Yeah. Wow. It, so, yeah. yeah. So I think I'm grateful as an adult. I've had the opportunity to work for people that listen and hear me and let me communicate my ideas. And ultimately, I think um, now in terms of authority, it often blurs the line between um, like a, a leader in the company um, and authority in terms of they're doing for they're doing what's best. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. yeah, and I imagine that your understanding ha- that you, you you know you had that experience when you were younger with ex- with authority and how it affected you and how you were like mindlessly like no no I can't I can't say this because the nun told me that I can't say this like that probably has a lot 
uh, a positive impact on the way that you think about managing people and how they react to you. You know, your your power and influence. Uh, at very, I mean, they're not in the third grade, so you know, it's it's a little different. But still, I'm sure that had a lot of positive influence. Like the doing wow. the opposite of that, as some someone we recently talked to <laughs> went through a lot of the podcast saying, "I am I spent I am successful because I did the opposite of what my early managers did." <laughs> yep. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, for me, it's been like how ultimately, right? I really live. I spend a lot of time at work. I love work. It's a larger part than my personal life. And so it needs to be good, right? I need to like the people that are there. I need to want to work with them and I need to be able to communicate with them clearly um, and be honest because I think in any time personally or professionally, when I start to not be honest is when it's like, it's not fun for me or someone else, right? So so then talk a little bit about that. What what does life look like outside of work? You you The majority yeah. of it's at work. When you're not at work, yeah. you still do hair? Um, on the side, I do friends and family. Um, Quite often, I don't do my own, but only because I'm lazy and just don't have time to do it myself. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I still do that. I love it. Shoemakers, um, shoes, mm-hmm. kids' shoes, things like that. That's right. Yeah, and um, I'm huge into quilting and sewing. Oh wow! So, yeah, um, it's my like meditation. Um, I absolutely love it. I'm I'm going through a phase, obviously in my 30s, that everyone around me is reproducing, and so it's like baby item mania and I'm constantly making little harem pants, leggings, quilts, bibs. Um, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. I, I ride awesome. my I ride my bike a lot too. Um, I live um, about four miles away from the Coors Brewery uh, factory, like where it's made in the river that it's made from. And so I like to ride like six miles up into the mountains and come back down and it's a lot of fun. It's It's beautiful to ride here. So I think it's required that if you live in and around you know, Denver, Boulder, you have to have a bike and you have to ride some minimum number of miles a week. I think that's the impression <laughs> I get anyway. There's a surprising <laughs> number of people who live in Denver and never go to the mountains. I honestly which, like, don't to think me, I would that's fit the in. only reason to live here. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. Oh, cool. Yeah. I, I know that vibe with like, you know, everyone's having kids. And uh, for me, it was knitting piggy hats for everybody's babies. So I get you. <laughs> totally awesome. feel it. Uh, and it sounds well, like, you know, becoming a leader has totally affected your personal life positively. Uh, is there, are there any negative effects of it? Uh, or do you, cause you're just saying, you know, it's a big part of your life to be at work, to have yeah. this role, to be a leader. Uh, is there any downside to that? Um, I think the only downside is I'm, I'm really good at it in work. And then in my personal life, I have to be reminded by uh, my boyfriend that I am great at communicating at work. So let's communicate now about home. Right. Oh, um, I see. There, it's it's not like on. he has to tell you I'm. You're not the boss here. <laughs> exactly. No, not at all. I definitely, okay. um, I definitely am good with that. But with communication, I'm like always 100% honest feedback. And it's interesting because obviously, if anybody um, is in a recovery program or a 12-step program, like honesty is like the mm-hmm. number one thing. And it, I got myself into a situation, obviously, um, alcoholism by not being honest, right? And so. Um, it's interesting that I can always flex the muscle at work and then at home, 
you know, I have people being like, but you can have these kinds of conversations at work. <laughs> You're like, this is more important. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? Totally. Um, I'm getting paid uh-huh. to have that conversation. <laughs> right. What are you what are you doing for me? Oh, don't don't answer that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now you know exactly. <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, well, for time's sake, we need to wrap up here, but um, if people want to know more, where can they find you on the internet, Brianna? Yep, I'm on uh, LinkedIn, Brianna Connolly. I'm at Integrate. And then uh, personally, if I'm a huge Instagrammer, and it's Ghostface Knitter. So. Okay, we will put Ghost that in the show notes. Ghostface Knitter. That is a good... Uh, that is good. Cool. I, I assume it's in reference to your natural tan. Exactly. Um, my love of, yes, my ghost space, and then my love for Wu-Tang, and then knitting and crafting. Oh. Uh, Wu-Tang, oh, yeah, you must follow Wu-Tang Financial, then, if you are on Twitter at all. Exactly. Oh. I cool. love, yeah. Wu-Tang forever. <laughs> Woohoo! Well, thank you so much. This was great. Uh, I totally enjoyed hearing all about it, and uh, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. I had a blast.